And then last Friday night, we preached the message. In fact, we'll have it up sometime tonight. I'll have these guys put it up. We, in fact, we recorded the entire service. It is called Christ, Our Passover Lamb. What an incredible, incredible time we had here Friday night. And then today we start with the cup of sanctification. And that is the promise that Jesus said, I'll bring you out. Then next week, which by the way is Baptism Sunday, we'll be baptizing a bunch of converts. So if you get saved today or if you've been saved and haven't been baptized, you need to be here. You need to sign up. You can, you can indicate it on your hay card. You can sign up at the Connection Center or the VIP booths and, and let us know. But next week will be Baptism Sunday. And we'll be talking about I will free you next week. Some of you got saved, but you're still chained up with some things. Uh-huh, my, my. Some of us are still uh, struggling with addiction. Some are still struggling in relationships and struggling with all kind of stuff. In other words, we got you out of Egypt, but we ain't got Egypt out of you. Are you with me? Say amen. And then the next week after that, we'll be talking about, uh, he says, I will redeem you. What that word redeem is that I will restore you to the original intent for which you were born. Some of you were born and God had great plans, great intentions for you, and you decided somewhere along the way to take a different road. God had the plans laid out, said, this is what I've planned for you. But some of you said, God, I don't want your plan. I'm going to do my own thing. I need to be here two weeks from today. We're going to talk about that cup. And then finally, uh, we'll talk is then I will take you as my own people. Now, I want you to notice the first three cups, he said, I'll bring you out. You is singular. And then he says, I will free you. That's singular. And then he says, I will redeem you. That's singular. Those are very personal. But then when you get all that worked out, he's brought you out of sin, out of Egypt. Then he's freed you from all the junk and the, the habits, the hang-ups, the addictions, and all of this. And most people get stuck in phase two. They just keep on getting chained up and chained up. But nonetheless, when he's brought you out and when he's freed you, and then he has redeemed you, in other words, put you on the right path to be that which he has thought of. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the thoughts that I have to you toward you, says the Lord. Good thoughts and not that of evil to give you and expect it in. Another translation says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. So, now, all of these, these three first ones were very personal and singular. The next one says, then I will take you as my own people. Now, people is plural, and I'll be your God. You'll be my people. So, so then we're going to learn how that God don't want us to do life alone. God wants us to do life together as the people of God because people of God can make a difference. We can't really make a difference in the world if we live only unto ourselves. But we can make a difference if we live as the people of God. 2 Peter 1 and 4 says, God has given us some very great and precious promises that through them you may participate in the divine nature. So God has given us these promises. And what I want you to understand is that every year, even though they did not have to dip a branch of hyssop in the, uh, in the lamb's blood and put it on their doorpost anymore, they still had to kill the lamb and eat the lamb. They still had to kill the lamb. And listen, you could not have, this was kind of like eating at my daddy's table when I was growing up. Now, my grand, you know, his grandkids, it didn't make no difference. But when I was growing up, you're going to eat everything on your plate, period. Want no questions to ask? Eggplant and all. You're just going to eat it all or get a whipping. Uh, I heard a story one time. My flight chief told me I was in, uh, in the service. His, his son hated corn. He was a little boy, five or six years old. And he done ate everything on his plate, had that corn. 
He said, son, I need you to eat that corn. He said, daddy, I don't like that corn. He said, son, you eat that corn. So he went out and he went on about a business. About 10 minutes later, he come back and that corn ain't been touched. He went on, his daddy coming there and said, son, listen, you're either going to eat that corn or I'm going to have to get the belt. He walked out and he come back in a few seconds and the little boy looked at him and said, daddy, you're going to have to get the belt. <laughs> <laughs> but I said that to say this, the, the lamb to be eaten it had to eat it all. And you could not leave it. You could not waste it. It had to be shared. That's why I told the church, did you know really, I, I, I could count on probably both my hands the available seats that are in this auditorium right now. And I'm simply saying this, there's more lamb to give out. Amen? The lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb. For we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but by the blood of a spotless lamb. So what I'm saying to you is this that we continue to reach out. We continue to, to, to give more opportunities. We continue to grow and to expand. Why? Because there's still a lot of lamb for the lost in Camden County. So, so there's those promises. I will bring you out. We're going to deal with that right now. He says, I will bring you out from what? From under the yoke of Egypt. Under the yoke of the Pharaoh. Listen, the, the Pharaoh made three decrees to the people then that I think the devil makes to you today. The Pharaoh said to the people then, I will enslave you and make you work hard labor from daylight to dark. And he did. They, you know, when they come down there, when the Pharaoh was in command that knew Joseph, the Egypt had paid for them to come down there. Egypt had paid the bill. Egypt had built their houses. Egypt had gave them allocations. Egypt had taken care of them because that Pharaoh knew Joseph. But he died, and then there arose a Pharaoh that did not know Joseph. And when the administration changed, all of a sudden he cleaned house, and this guy didn't know Joseph, furthermore didn't really like Joseph. And so all of a sudden this innumerable band of people that are growing and, and multiplying like rabbits. He says, I'm scared to death that they're going to overpopulate us and they'll take our own land from us. So he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to put them to work. I'm going to enslave them. I'm going to force labor on them. And so he forced them to work from daylight to dark. And they still had time to have babies. Huh? They took it serious when, you know, Paul hadn't even wrote it yet. Husbands, love your wives. Huh? But anyway, they were practicing, amen. And so nonetheless, babies being born left and right, babies and babies. And the more the Pharaoh worked them, the more babies they had. I'm going to tell you something. If God's on your side, it don't make no difference what the enemy does, how big and bad he thinks he is. And so... So the forced labor, and I want you to understand something. The slavery, any, you know what slavery by Webster definition is? Anything or any time you are submitted to a dominating influence. Whatever it is that is a dominating influence in your life. Might be drugs, might be alcohol, might be wild women or crazy men. Or, or, or addictions or pills and whatever it is, I don't know. But whatever that dominating influence that you just absolutely can't shake and it's deteriorating, it's tearing you up. Let me tell you something. Egypt represents the world of sin. And listen, if we stay in Egypt long enough, pretty soon we will become enslaved in Egypt. 
They should have got out when the getting was good. Are you with me? And here's what's amazing to me. This is what's intriguing to me. When Moses finally did lead them out and Moses was meeting with God on Mount Sinai, those people got to thinking, well, I don't know about Moses. Maybe we ought to just go back. It blows my mind when you see somebody who's been delivered out of something that says, you know, I think I'm just going to go back. Like a sow that had washed, returns to the wallowing in mire, or a dog that had vomited, who in return to eat his own vomit, according to the Bible. So he made a decree, I'm going to force you to make bricks. I'm going to force labor on you. And then the next thing he said, here, here's what's going to happen is, when you're forced to do things that you don't necessarily like to do, you feel enslaved. Indeed, you are enslaved. Matter of fact, in the Message Bible, Jesus said it like this in Mark, or excuse me, John 8 and 34. I tell you most solemnly that anyone who chooses a life of sin is trapped in a dead-end life and is, in fact, a slave. A slave is a transient who can't come and go at will. A slave is under orders. They, they, they can't just decide to leave if they want to leave. They can't just go to town they can't just decide, well, no, I'm not going to do this no more. And the devil has got many of God's people, if I, if I may be so bold to say, enslaved. Um, and many people, period, enslaved. And then the next, the next decree the Pharaoh made was, I'm going to murder the babies. Now, this is happening today as well, and that's not a political statement. You, you may or may not agree with abortion or whatever, but uh, here's what the Pharaoh did. He knew that the Israelites were growing uh, exponentially. So he put out an edict, and this is what he said to the, to the midwives, and these are only two of them, the, the Scripture, uh, Shipra and Pua, in Exodus 1 and 15. He says, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth, observe them on the delivery stool, and if it's a boy, kill him. And if it's a girl, let her live. What it said, if you study the history, well, we got plans for the girls. We can use them later. They'll be sex slaves later. But he says, but kill the boys. In other words, let's stop this rising population right now before it gets too late. Let's stop this population. And, and so, when, and finally, um, the, the, the Hebrew, I mean, the midwives said, uh, you know, they were supposed to kill the babies and they decided not to, and they lied to the Pharaoh, and at least a couple of them did. And then Pharaoh made another edict, said, here's the deal. All the baby boys must be thrown into the Nile River then. So, so what he did by killing the babies is he took what's most precious. You know what's most precious to a mom? Her babies. Huh? It ain't the car, it's not the house, it's not her husband, it's not her job. Babies. It's the most precious thing. And so the, so the Pharaoh decided to take the most precious thing, and that was her babies. He was trying to destroy their upcoming potential. Are you with me? Say amen. Because one day, um, Amram, the father of Moses, and Jochebed, the mother of Moses, they would come together, and Moses would be born. And he's just a little kid, if you will. But one day, he will stand in the face of Pharaoh and say, God said, let my people go. And the devil knew that. Therefore, he wanted to extinguish and kill the babies. That's why in Jesus' day, Herod made an edict, a law, that said every boy two years old and under must die. Why? He wanted to kill Jesus. The prophet said there was weeping in Ramah when they were crying for their babies. He thought he would kill Jesus. Nope. Killed. You know why? Because the wise man or the angel had told him to go another way. He killed his own grandson, but he didn't kill Jesus. So let me, let me go on. So the murder of the babies. And then you feel empty. You feel empty. Um, 
when they take your baby. You know, matter of fact, we even say it. When our kids get grown and gone, we call it the empty nest syndrome. And um, so, and then he, he, he done something else, and this is what he's doing today too. Uh, so they were working from daylight to dark, working, working, working. He had killed the babies. And then he said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to work you even harder. He said, matter of fact, when y'all come to work, when these Israelites come to work every day, they would come to the slime pits or to the mud pits where they were to make brick. You know, they built the city of Ramses and Python, and they built storehouses. They built all this stuff with slave labor. And he said, but when you come to work today, and they had to have a certain tally of brick. You didn't have that tally. You got whipped that night, just so you know. I mean, you guys got it good working in America. Even, you know, production, you don't make production well, you don't get a little bonus. Well, big deal. But back then, you didn't get enough bricks made, you're going to get a whipping tonight. It ain't nothing you can do about it. And he says, but the Pharaoh says, you know what? They're still having babies. They, must, they got too much time on their hands. They're too busy. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Tomorrow you come to work, same time, right before daylight. And normally you got a big old pile of straw that, you know, our men have put there for you. There ain't going to be no straw tomorrow. There ain't going to be no water. You're going to find your own straw. He said, so come in a little early. Go get your own straw, and the tally of bricks does not diminish. In other words, you got time on your hands, so we're going to take that time. And they felt enslaved. They felt empty. They felt exhausted. In other words, they were being told to do more and more and more. And some of you right now, you're just doing more and more and more and more. Hey, I had a guy, I had a pastor ask me yesterday. He said, Pastor, do y'all do this particular ministry? I said, nope. And he said, well, do y'all do this particular ministry? I said, nope. And he asked me about another one. I said, nope. He said, well, what do y'all do? I said, we do church and we do life groups. I said, we do fewer things better than a million things, about 1%. We are not everything to everybody. But I guarantee you, we got a life group for almost anything. Amen? You can serve as a musician in a life group. You can serve as a caregiver in a life group. You can serve as a disciple-making pastor in a life group. You can just, there's so many things you can do. But no, we got off the bandwagon of trying to have every single kind of whatever, you name it. So they were exhausted. And some of you, you're so exhausted. You got school, you got work, you got ball practice, then you got the other ball practice, then you got ballet, and then you've got dance, and then you've got cheerleading, and you've got this, and you've got that. No wonder you can't ever be at church. It's Easter Sunday, and I love y'all. I'm trying to bring you out. And you here today, well, amen. Listen, so you need to know the devil and the same spirit that controlled Satan then is controlling things now, and he's trying his best to enslave and empty and exhaust you. Listen, I'm telling you, people, people are just wore out. And you know what? You don't get burned out necessarily over just doing many things. You get burned out when you're doing many, 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 many things that don't matter that have no reward on the other end of it. Someone said, well, Pastor, aren't you exhausted after preaching Friday? Yeah, but there was a great reward. What did you, you preach this morning? Yeah, but there was just as many then as they are now. Well, you're going to be tired. Yeah, I am. But guess what? There's going to be a lot of souls swept into the kingdom of God. And that's rewarding. So 
Here's what, I, here's what I know. Among us right now, there's people that are bogged down, that are burdened down, that are tied up, that are forced into slave labor. Some of you are fighting addictions and you just cannot seem to shake it. Some of you are fighting relationships that just hadn't worked, ain't going to work, and you just don't know which way you're going to go and how to get out of it or how to get into it. Whatever it is, God, just do something. It's kind of like Jerry Clower when he got up in the tree with a coon and uh, he finally hollered down to Marcel and said, just shoot up here amongst us. One of us got to have some relief. Some of you feel like that in life that I don't care, Lord, just do something. Send a bullet because either I got to die or he does, but something got to go. I want to tell you, God wants to bring you out. I got a, a clip right now I want to show you. I want you to enjoy this clip of a man struggled with tremendous addiction, but God brought him out. Roll the tape. My mom died when I was three, and uh, not long after that, uh, I lost my brother in a custody battle. Me and my sister, we suffered physical and emotional abuse all of our years growing up. I dropped out of school early and got married just to escape my home environment. Shortly after being married, my son come along and I, it probably wasn't a couple years, I met a gentleman that introduced me to a life of crime. It was an auto theft ring and insurance fraud. The money that I could make, it was easy, it was fast, and it was a lot of it. And that's how I valued my self-worth. The FBI shut us down in 1988, and when I went to prison, that's the first time I had realized how, how much my actions and my decisions had affected my family. My dad was physically and verbally abusive. Dad went to prison when I was 14 years old, and between the ages of 14 and 17, I was, I was completely alone. I turned to alcohol and drugs. After getting out of prison, I went back to work and uh, was well established. I was doing good, doing construction work. Then I was introduced to a gentleman that taught me how to cook meth. It got where I could make more in one evening than I could in a week. I lived in a home where my father cooked drugs. I wasn't able to talk about it, wasn't able to communicate with my friends about it, and um, I kind of had to just hold it in. I would go out looking for someone to hurt. I was constantly getting in fights, just really wanting someone to, 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 to see the pain, to feel, to feel the pain that I was feeling. Got married at 18, and then I found myself um, doing the things that I didn't approve of. So then we started dabbling with drugs. You know, it was just something that she was exposed to growing up, as well as me. We're gonna do drugs, we're gonna argue, we're gonna party and see other people. Um, that's what normal was. I didn't know I was an addict then. I was I wasn't a functioning addict. I never ran out, so I didn't know I was hooked on the drug. But the addiction cost me my business, my home, my family, my friends. It, it cost me my health, and I, I can't get to years back that I lost. I eventually got married. I brought a lot of the of the things that I had seen growing up into into my marriage and in, into the relationships with my children. I was being verbally abusive. I was cheating on my wife and I had become the very person that, that I despised. I, I, was, I was in bondage for years with alcohol addiction, sexual addiction. I watched it tear my life apart. I had no contact with my dad or my brother. At this point, all three of us are like, we're, we're going through hell together, but individually. All of our marriages failed. All of our relationships are breaking. Um, we're all dealing with some type of addiction. For me, I got, I got desperate when 
my marriage was was basically over, and and I lost my job. So I had nowhere to turn. I was um, I didn't have a, a place to live. I didn't have a job, and and my wife was leaving me. I got busted again in 2012 for uh, numerous drug charges. I had a bond of two million fifty-three thousand dollars, and uh, I woke up the next morning in jail. I was broken. I was broken spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally. My life was in shambles. I'd be home alone, and I would get down on my knees in my bedroom, and I just began to cry out, Lord, you know, if you're there, we need you now. I need you now. I, I, need, to, I need you to show up. And, and he did. He showed up. A week or two after that, you know, my wife came to me. We began to talk it out. We began to work on it. We began the healing process. And God just began to just work miracles in, in my life. We began to go to church together. Um, we began to get involved in small groups. And, and through the relationships that we made in those small groups, our marriage was able to, to heal. And, and, and God just came in and just, and just healed our hearts and took away the pain and took away the, the hurts and allowed us to, to fall in love again. I called my brother and was like, you know, look, man, can you can you help me? And he said, yeah, I can. Moved in with him, and I um, started going to Highlands, dedicated my life to God, got involved in a life group, and that's when I uh, experienced, you know, forgiveness, and I was able to forgive my dad for the for the for the things that had happened in my past, and then uh, able to forgive myself for the choices that I had made along the road. In 2009, Pastor Chris handed out. Lifesavers, and we're, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to give our lifesaver a name. And every time we look at that lifesaver, we're supposed to pray for that person. I named it my for my dad. And every time I looked at this lifesaver, I would pray for him. And my prayer was that God would allow him to come to church. And I knew that would have been that would have been a miracle. And so for a year, I prayed for my dad. And. God answered that prayer, not the way that I thought it would look like. I had asked the judge when I went for a bond reduction, could I um, go to the foundry? I told him I'd already put an application in. He said, son, you're already on, on probation and you have a $2 million bond. There's no way we're gonna let you go to a rehab. He wouldn't but a couple months. The judge, the judge called me back in. He lowered my bond from $2 million to $10,000 gave me a chance to come to the foundry to get the help I needed. And, and while that's happening, at the same time, I'm going through um, 21 days of prayer, and the Lord lays it on my heart to take the small group to, to the foundry. And so as it works out, we, we show up there. I pick up Dad from jail, and the next morning we go to the foundry, and as I'm dropping him off there, I was like, well, you know, here, you know, here's your luggage, here's your stuff, you know. Oh, and by the way, I'll be leading a small group here. I want you in it. Through this small group, at the end, there's a retreat. And at this retreat, that's my first time to ever encountering God in, in the way I did. I felt his presence like never before. I got the healing on my heart from all the abuse, my drug addiction, all the hurt and pain that I've caused people. I feel that God has delivered me from, from my past into this new creation of this new guy that um, has a purpose now. God has healed all the hurt. He has restored my family. It's awesome what God can do if you will let it. God delivered us from this 
tremendous stronghold of addiction. He, he delivered us from, from, from all this pain and he taught us how to forgive. He taught us how to love and, and he taught us, he taught us his love and, and he showed us that he is for us. Amen. And there are people here today that are struggling with similar things. It may not be the drugs. It may be something else. But in bondage, enslaved in Egypt. And God says one of the promises, one of the cups, the first cup is, I will bring you out. You know, God can do more. I'm not against AA or, um, or, or you know, Turning Point or any of those. I'm not, I'm not against all those. I'm just simply saying that whom the sun sets free is free indeed. God could do a tremendous work. Amen. God is simply saying this. Notice what John 10, 10 says, The thief come to steal and to kill, but I come to give you life. Romans 8 and 11 in the message says, It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With the Spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. What he's saying is, I want to bring you out. I want to do something awesome and something incredible. 1 Peter 3 and 4 says, 1, 3 and 4, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And that future starts now. He says, I want to bring you out, but he says, there's three things you got to do as you stand with me right now, if you will, for just a moment. <clears throat> he said, you have to make the move. You got to make the move. What is the move, pastor? It's to repent. He said, come out from among the world and be a separate people, he said. He said, don't touch the unclean thing and I'll receive you and I'll be your father. You'll be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. For Romans 3 and 23 says, we've all sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God. Nobody can look down their long nose at you and say, well, you sinner, because you got three or four fingers pointing right back at you. For we have all sinned and none of us are deserving. We've all messed up. And we all struggle with this flesh. So we're in this thing together. But God says, I want to bring you out. So you've got to make the move. But then he says, in order for me to bring you out, you've got to let go. That, that speaks of surrender. The first one spoke of repentance where you say, not only God, I'm sorry, but to repent is to do 180 degrees and turn away from it. But then he says to let go. I'm reminded of a story I heard a preacher tell some years ago. And it was how they caught and trapped monkeys overseas. And they would build a box, and it had a hinge on one side. They would put a bait in there, usually a banana. They'd close that box and lock it back and chain the box down. And a little monkey would come along, and there's inside, uh, on one side of the box, there is a hole only the size that the monkey could get his fist through. But when he grabbed the banana and balled up his fist, it, his, when he balled his fist up, it was just too big. In fact, even without the banana, if he had his fist balled up, he couldn't take it back out. So the little monkey would come along, he'd reach in the box, and he'd grab that banana, and he wanted that banana so bad. And now he's been there for a long time, and he can hear them coming. The trappers are on their way. 
And they'll get him. And they'll kill him. All he had to do was let go of what he was holding on to. Pull his hand out the box and run back to the trees. All he had to do was let go. And that's what God's saying right now. All you got to do is let go. God says, I've got so much for you, but you want to hold on to bondage. These people, some of them got delivered and wanted to go back to Egypt. Why? What is there to go back to? He said, so if you'll make the move, that is repent. If you'll let go, that is surrender. And then if you'll commit your life to him. Romans 6 and 19 says, uh, using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. See, when I started this message this morning, I talked to you about slavery and bondage. It was unwilling slavery. They didn't want to be slaves. They forced them to be slaves. But now I want to close this by saying, I wish I had time. You can read Exodus 21 and find out because they did not sanction slavery after the Exodus. Um, and, and, but the Hebrews, some of them still had slaves. But the Bible said in the seventh year and in the year of Jubilee, you had to let them all go. He said, but there were some slaves that loved their master and loved their home and they loved their children and family that they had acquired there. And they did not want to leave. And so if you made that pledge and you said, I love you, master, I do not want to leave you, the master would take you to the edge of the door, to the post there, and he would take an awl, which looks like an ice pick. He'd hold your ear up to the edge of the door and drive that ice pick or that awl through your ear. He would pierce your ear. And literally what that meant was, I belong to this master for the rest of my life because I've said I love my master and that's who I want to serve. And in those times, they would even uh, tattoo themselves with the name of the general that they served or the plantation they served or whoever it is that they looked up to and served. That was willing slavery, not forced slavery. They said, so I'm asking you, like Paul, we used to willingly serve the devil. Why don't we willingly serve the Lord now? Before I pray, I've got one picture I want to show you. It's a, a picture of some wood. It's on the wall. There it is. You saw that in the beautiful area back there. You know that, that wood that's around that TV? You know where it was last week? It was on the floor of my shop at home. I'd already built all the birdhouses and the tables and this and that and the other, and that was just scrap of no use to me. I just sort of kicked it aside. Some of it cedar, some of it cypress, some of it spruce, some of it pine, whatever. But there it is. I just sort of discarded it. Josh said to me when he and Kelly was dreaming up all this remodel, he said, you know what? We really need a wooden wall. And all of a sudden, you know, I said, well, hey, man, I, I don't know. This is junk to me, but you, you can use it. And guess what? Now it sits out here in the house of God, beautiful, cared for, polished, decorative. And I, I said that to say this. Some of you feel like you're lying on the basement and have been discarded by the carpenter. But the master carpenter, that is Jesus Christ, still knows that he can pick you up, he can dust you off, trim the things that need to be trimmed in your life and put you together serving in the house of God. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here real quick, time is of the essence. If you're re real quick, I wouldn't put you on the spot or embarrass you for nothing, but if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I want him to bring me out. 
I want him to bring me out. I want him to be the Lord of my life. I'm tired of trying to do it my way. Here's what I need you to do real quick, and I need you to, to just hold your hand up with me for a moment. Would you just put your hand in the air? Pastor, please pray for me. Listen, this church, we will shout the victory to see your hands go up because we know everybody needs Jesus, and he wants to bring you out. Can you hold it up high with me right now real quick? I see just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. I see at least 20 hands. At least 20 hands, and I would be losing count if I try to rescan. But here's what I need you to do. Our closing host is coming in just a moment because there's another service coming. But here's what I need you to do. When he talks to you, there's a place on that hay card that says, I renewed my commitment to Christ or I commit in other words I got saved for the first time today or I rededicated my life I need you to check that box so we can see it and follow up yes give the Lord praise here's the prayer right now I want you saints of God just to agree with me listen if, you, if you're a sinner and you want to pray this prayer with me here it is Lord Jesus I need you to bring me out I've tried and I have miserably failed. My life is a wreck. My home, perhaps, if this is you, maybe your home is a wreck. Maybe your marriage is a wreck. Whatever it is, but Lord, I cannot do it on my own. I make the move. I repent. I say I'm in the wrong. I'm sorry I have sinned. I don't want to do this any longer. I relinquish it. I let go of it. And I run to you, Jesus, today. I'm asking you to take me as I am, Lord, and clean me up and make me something special because you've got good plans for me and I've gone my own way and I've wrecked it. But I come back to you now and I ask you to accept me in Jesus' name. Now listen to me. If you prayed that prayer and you mean it, you are as saved as Billy Graham right now. Are you hearing me? Now you have to act on it. Can we give the Lord praise? Come on, give him praise. Amen.